introduce yourself for everybody, please? Yes, my name is Krista Barfield. I am a Philly native and owner of Farmer John Philly, as well as We Believe Tea Company. Yeah, I'm an agripreneur and farmer and just want to feed people using soil. <laughs> That's dope. So how did you get started farming, right? What came first, farming or the tea company? Farming. Actually, you know what? It's, it's hard to say. Kind of like I got introduced to it and at the same time almost. So I'll just tell you the story. I worked in healthcare for 10 years, was made my way all the way up to a certain level of management. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. I've arrived. My degree, this is what I went to school for, all that. And then I got there and I hated it. I was completely miserable and I took a leap of faith and I just resigned from my job, not having another job, didn't know what my next steps were. I was just about to turn 30. This is in 2018, January of 2018. And on January 2nd, I walk into work not knowing that I'm resigning that day. I sit down at my computer, I look at an email and that's when I knew. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I, uh, I gave them three weeks notice and trained some of my staff, made sure that they were good. And I peaced out on the, like the very next day after my last day of work, I went to Martinique in the Caribbean, the French Caribbean specifically. And yeah, and I was very enlightened when I got to that island, much to my surprise. I was not expecting to, to be able to fall in love with something that would, would then, you know, become my entire life. Hey, what did that email say? Oh, that's a good question. I just know it was from my boss. <laughs> it was from my boss and it was like something. Somebody was somebody had an attitude about something. And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> Done deal. Krista is out of here. <laughs> All right. So so you get down to Martinique and then what happens? Like, tell me about your time down there. I get to Martinique. I arrive. I arrived at my Airbnb and which was amazing. And I honestly, I only picked this Airbnb because it had a swimming pool. That was the only criteria I had for myself. I live in a, I live in the city. There's not many, there's no pools unless you live in a high rise luxury apartment. And so I'm like, I need a pool when I go on vacation. And I went and much to my surprise, the chef that was the host of my Airbnb also made my tea and breakfast every single morning. And I just had these amazing meals that was accompanied by herbs that were picked from the backyard right in his garden. And he was putting them in my cup and pouring hot water over them. And I was like, this is something different. Why are, why, why don't I know anything about this? Hey, <laughs> okay, okay. So it was just the whole experience. So then you taste the tea, you get introduced to the herbs, and then you come up with the idea for your company? Yeah, so I literally, for Viva Leaf Tea Company, that was the experience that spawned it. I, I wanted to know what tea culture was in the United States. And I, it just opened up a big world for me because I learned so much about tea culture around the world, you know, in the States and other countries where it's revered, which is pretty much everywhere else except here in America. We live amongst a bunch, a bunch of coffee drinkers. But in these other places, you know, Europe and China and, you know, parts of Asia, all of Asia, really, everybody's drinking tea. We're the only ones that are stuck in this, this real, like, loving coffee so much, so much. And it's interesting because I'm in Puerto Rico and that's the same culture here. They love coffee. 
so much here. <laughs> so yeah, it just was like, I, I just knew that I wanted to change the way that we saw tea, tea here in America. And I thought it was important. And also whatever we're doing, we need to be intentional about it. So we should be drinking tea that's created from herbs that can also be healthfully beneficial to us. That's the reincarnation of my healthcare career, me being able to tap into what I spent so much time doing, taking care of people, making sure that they were healthy. Obviously, I'm not a clinician, so I did that from the insurance standpoint, the finances and patient access. That was my realm. But I'm still taking care of people. I'm still making sure that people are able to receive care. And I'm like, food is that gateway and using utilizing tea and what I can grow. I know this herb is going to help with digestion. I know that's going to help you with your high blood pressure. I know this is going to help you sleep at night, that type of thing, right? Like we should be doing approaching healthcare in a more holistic way. And that's what Be Believe Tea has allowed me to do. Okay. So like how much tea do you sell or what, how many blends do you have? How did you come up with your tea blends? So Let's much. start there. That's what I want to know. How did you come up with your different tea blends? My tea blends, it took a lot of time. I will tell you that. It took a lot of nights uh, where I was just literally trying things. But I started with learning about herbalism. I started just diving into books uh, and articles about herbs and what they do and how they affect your body and drug interactions with herbs and really just seeing what different plants do what. <laughs> do what for us, what we can consume, what's safe, what isn't safe. That's really what I just jumped into. And then I decided to create blends that were, that all were specific to a certain health or ailment, like a wellness access point for us. So if we want to sleep better, okay, great. I learned that lavender is excellent for that. Chamomile is excellent for that. Sage. So I created a tea, these teas that also needed to taste good. So yeah, I, I used to mix blends that were like, okay, this seems like it might be healthy and good for you, but this is nasty. <laughs> this is not good. So it took a lot of trial and error and figuring out, you know, what works well together. I tasted so much tea, like, I mean, so much tea. <laughs> I did a lot of trials for sure. So what was your first blend that you came out with? So tea number one is our pain management tea. And that consists of feverfew, chamomile, toffee, basil, rosemary. And I have that over top of a black tea, a black Assam tea. And the reason why I do that because it is for pain management, black tea is high in caffeine and caffeine is a natural pain reliever. So when you accompany that with feverfew, which is the absolute best herb if you have a headache, drink some feverfew or create some type of warm compress that has feverfew in it and it's absolutely going to knock that headache out. Chamomile is an anti-inflammatory. Rosemary is as well. Tulsi basil has really amazing healing and, and restful benefits. So I literally just, you know, worked on the amount amount of things. When I figured out what was good together, feverfew was actually very nasty. It's disgusting by itself. So I had to figure out levels. So then I'm like, feverfew needs to be in here because it's the most powerful constituent in this tea. How do I make this taste good? And so I did a bunch of different variations of the tea and I landed on a good blend. So how did you go about finding out like all of this information about these herbs? I started with books. So I went to bookstores. Yeah, Barnes and Noble. I spent a lot of time in there. I went to libraries. 
series. And of course, you can get a lot of information from the internet, but there's something nostalgic about flipping through a book, the paper, the smell of these books. And it's something that I've always loved. I love books so very much. So yeah, when I resigned from my job, it's like I have time to do the things that I actually enjoy. What? Yeah, so I like, you know, went to the library and went to bookstores and and read up on a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's dope. So then how did you get into the farming? Well, let's talk about the farming. How did that happen? Yeah, very same trip. I had two Airbnb hosts on this vacation. The very first one obviously was in one part of the island. And then I went up to the mountains to another part of the island. And here I met, which I didn't know when I booked the Airbnb. Again, I was only looking for swimming pools. And they happened to have one. And it was lovely. And when I got there, I spoke to a man man who was the owner and he was making me this drink from like mixing coconut and vodka excellent and then he knew that I was by myself and so he was like if you want I'll send my sons to come get you tomorrow and they can take you around the island and you know you can kind of hang out with them for the day and I was like okay cool but again much to my surprise I went I got picked up that day they're around the same age as me they came and got me uh, one of them came and AJ came and got me from Petit Cotier. That's the name of their farm in Martinique. And yeah, he took me to their farm and like took me to where their members were coming to pick up their CSA. I got to see all the food that was harvested, got to help them pack boxes for their CSA members. And at this time, I had no idea what a CSA member even was. Didn't know what a CSA was. And so I was really able to learn just from observing, observing them in their environment and seeing them pack these boxes, getting to help be a part of it. And I was like, this is so cool. I need to do this at home. Why do we have this at home? And then again, like I went home and like kind of just like dug in and like, I need to see what is happening in, in Philly. Do we have farms that have CSAs? And yeah, that, that's the journey. That's where the journey began. So when you got back to looking up Philly, right? And checking out to see if you had these things there, what did you find out? I found that we did have farms and they did have CSAs. <laughs> And the very interesting thing is I consider myself a, a well-educated person, consider myself pretty cultured as well. I've been to, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things. I've read a lot of books. I feel like I know a lot, but uh, clearly I didn't know enough. And to be in the area of the city that I'm in, to have actual farms that are right in my neighborhood and to not know that this was a thing is mind blowing to me. And so that's when I started to dig even deeper and I realized that there is a cultural divide. There's a cultural divide and that's the reason why I didn't know about it. There are not, a, there's nothing that publicizes it to say like, hey, especially in underserved neighborhoods, you know, black and brown neighborhoods to say, hey, there's a farm that's not too far from here you don't have to get your food from the grocery store you can support your local farmer <laughs> and this is how you do it right there's like no no book on that right when you say that we're in your neighborhood how far away was the farm from where you are so there's actually a farm that does a csa model it's not exactly a csa but it's similar it's about maybe three minutes from my house and this is a woman who owns some land and she has she runs her own farm right in my neighborhood and and people come to shop there. It's like a farmer's market. And I found out about that. And then there's an actual larger acreage farm about 10 minutes away from me that offers a CSA program also. And then if you just continue to open that up, where my current farm is located, one of my locations is about 
15 minutes away from my house. So again, it's just like, there's so much green space surrounding me. And I had no idea that people that look like me could have access to this. We could be growing our own food. And I got, I got, I did get a chance to find out a more about more black owned farms or people, not even black owned farms, but more so people that are black or brown that are growing food. But it's not something that I was, you know, that I knew about before three years ago. So when you say there's a good amount of green space around you, is that like all of Philly? There's a good amount of green space mixed into Philly? No. So I live in northwest section of the city in Germantown. And so it's very much we have woods. We have woods and we're the section of the city that's known for like having parks and green space. And there's other parts of the city that has parks as well. But and even some like farms and horticultural areas. But Philadelphia is not a huge ag agriculture town, a huge ag town. It's trying to be, but it's not completely there yet. And there's a lot of community gardens and things like that. But again, it's not just having the community garden isn't enough. It's about people knowing that they are they're able to have access to it. That's the main thing. All right. So tell me about where you farm, right? How much space do you have and what does it look like? I am a farming nomad. Like I'm all over the place at this point. <laughs> Yeah, so I have three locations now. One that I've had for two and a half years. Actually, I should say four. I have my backyard where I technically started my farm right in my backyard. It's a four by six foot greenhouse. And I've been growing and a lot of my plant starts in there for the last few years. That's where I started growing my herbs at for the tea company. And I also have the land that I found after needing to expand from out of that greenhouse and like actually having more space is a about 15 minutes from my house and it's 2,500 square feet. And even that is not all in one space. So like it's in the same area, but you have to like, I have plots of land and they just equal up to 2,500 square feet. So, but they're disjointed, right? So I'm like, I'm growing here, I'm growing here, I'm growing here. And then I just got this new space up in about an hour from Philly that is about another 3,000 square feet of land. And, and yeah, and then I have another space that is right in my neighborhood that I was just gifted to carry out this idea that I've been playing with called redefining the corner store. And um, I'm going to be able to develop that and get that off the ground in this space I just got in Germantown, right in my neighborhood. All right, we're going to come back to that redefining the corner store. But I want to ask, do you grow okay. <laughs> most of the herbs or how... Do you grow the herbs for your tea? We do. Yeah, so we grow the herbs for our tea, for the majority of them. And uh, we do as we do as best as we can to ensure that we are growing enough to get us through the winter, right? Because I do have a greenhouse, but you can still only grow but so much in that small space that I have. And then if we need to, we'll, we'll supplement herbs from another farm. And that's also organic. Do you find it, is it hard or was it hard to find another farm with organic herbs, I guess, up to your standards? It really wasn't. That's the crazy part. In Philly, when I first started the tea company, before I actually had my own herbs or enough of them, I started with this farm that's, again, the farm that's about 10 minutes away from my house that also has a CSA. I started getting herbs from them every week. Every week I was going there and, you know, getting what I needed to be able to do our teas. And then also I, I started also reaching out to other farms to see if they were growing, how they were growing their herbs. Because some people are chemical free or some people are practical 
practicing organic, but not certified organic. And that's very, that's what we are. We're not certified organic, but that's all we do. Like, that's just how we grow. And we're working on that certification. But so, yeah, so if I can find a farmer that's willing to talk to me and have a conversation, I'm perfectly fine with utilizing their products. So this trip to Martinique, right, you didn't grow up gardening or farming or anything. It was this trip that really sent you down this path. I never. It was. Yeah, stepping out of my comfort zone, you know, quitting my job. is. This trip was literally life-changing. That's dope. Okay, I like to hear it. So on your farms, what are you growing in? Are you in containers, in-ground beds, raised beds? What do the farms look like? Yeah, so each farm looks totally different. No farm is the same. <laughs> so one of the farms that we grow right in the ground, we, when I first got there, I worked, we worked the soil in so that we could start building it back up. When I first got there, I realized that someone was growing biodynamically. And the only reason why I felt like that is because it was all types of stuff in the soil. Like there was like, I found seashells in there. I found like burnt newspaper, like all types of stuff in the soil. And I'm like, okay. Somebody was doing something else, like a special type of growing here. But I grow right in the ground there. And then because I just moved out of the greenhouses that I was in for a year, I had really large greenhouses, like 5,000 square feet. And I just moved out of those because we don't own them. So we left and I had to take all the containers that we were growing in in there and I moved them to an outside farm. So I do container growing and then I also do pallet farming. And this is a new concept for me. It's something I'm trying out. So I'll let you know how it goes. But I have uh, a bunch of land lined with a number of pallets and I've created these pockets in the pallets where I can add soil into them. And I plan on doing like a full greens farm of various different types of leafy greens and those. And so what is the weather like? What does the growing season look like in Philly? Yeah, zone 7A, we we have all four seasons. We certainly do. And last year really taught us that we are not, we do get winters. Because for a long time, we have very mild winters. And so I was like, you know, not realize like a lot of things that technically wouldn't be perennial in our zone were coming back or they weren't dying off completely. And that's because of the how mild the winter was. But this last winter we just had was a real winter. It snowed very often. And so it's very different. So but we typically have a spring, summer, fall and a winter. In the summertime, how hot do you guys get up there? About 90 degrees. Yeah, like 95. If we can hit 100, like we can hit it, but it's not a consistent thing like well you know we'll hit it. it'll be a heat wave for a couple days strung together but then we come back down to like our 80s 90s in the peak of summer where did you get all of your gardening knowledge and information to be able to you know confidently step into farming on this you know a larger scale trial and error <laughs> okay um, I just tried it. It honestly, when I first started farming, it, it was just trying it out. I didn't even read a bunch of books on farming. To be honest, I didn't. I just was like, I'm just going to try it and see what happens. If I have any questions about it, then I'll look into like, I'll do more research. But I really was like soil, dirt, seed, you know, seeds. This can't be that hard, like water, some sun. Like, let's do this. And I just, I just jumped right in. I just jumped right in, like, and really blind. Like, <laughs> do you think that helped you? I don't think it, I don't know. 
know. That's a really good question. Did it help me? Did it, I don't want to say it hurt me. I feel like, I don't feel like, yeah, I definitely wasn't hurt by the experience, but it is very much trial and error. Like I, I know, I guess my, I don't want to say regret because that's a very strong word and I don't really regret much of anything because I believe in having experiences good or bad like they, te- they teach you something so and build your character so what I could have done better was definitely communicate with more farmers maybe like more reached out to more people because because I will tell you when I first started farming and wanted to, wanted to farm I reached out to various farms in my area to see if I could volunteer with them and some said no or no thank you some people said no thank you and then other people that let me come volunteer just put me to I was just weeding and that was the only thing or I was packing bags for their market so I wasn't actually learning any real farming techniques which is why like you know education farming education is so important to me and and people being able to find a place to do that is key for me because I couldn't find a place I'm like I want a farm how do I do this and they're like oh okay well you can come here and you can weed the beds and I'm just like okay (laughs) I think it's crazy though I love to hear that you coming from the trip in Martinique knowing you want a farm and then you just hop into it and then you just grow it into what you have grown it into So you earlier, you mentioned redefining the corner store. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's this passion project. Corner stores are throughout neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods primarily, right? So like they're all over the place. (laughs) And within these corner stores, there are processed foods that are boxed, they're in cans. And then you also have the food that's being prepared in the back where they're making these hoagies that are packed with oil. I don't know what they call them in Texas. What do y'all call y'all sandwiches in Texas? Heroes? Hoagies? No, no, that's not Texas. We just got sandwiches. Sandwiches? (laughs) So, (laughs) so we call them hoagies and they're like, you know, these cold cuts lunch meat that is packed with nitrates and sodium and, you know, all this is processed cheese and then you got like the lettuce and tomato that's thrown on there that is from who knows what farm, probably at 3,000 miles away. <laughs> and you know, it's just not healthy food that they're preparing. Frying up what well, we have, our cheese steaks uh, that everyone in Philadelphia absolutely loves. And you know, so it's all this food that's super unhealthy. And so what I would like to do is create micro farms this idea of creating small farms very similar to what would be considered a corner store size right like get you a micro farm and then on this farm we have a place very similar to where they're preparing food in the back we have one too but we are using food from the farm that's right here that you can see growing to create meals so soup salads and sandwiches are what we're going to focus on and dehydrated kale like you know as a chip or dehydrated beet chips or like stuff like that that we can make very easily and simply and change the way people look at food and think of food and what people consider to be good food. So yeah, I get to do my very first one this coming season. Throughout July, I'm going to work on getting that off the ground. I just got some land that was gifted to me and I'm really excited about it. So what are you going to use, like, I guess, as the structure to where you're preparing the food? It's a shipping container. So I... Yes, I already have a shipping container and I'm going to get it outfitted so that 
pretty much design, bringing in an architect so they can design it out and I can, you know, look at it and say where I want what. And yeah, and we have the land and I'm going to also make sure that there's a composting area there. And the real function of this space is that, again, the neighborhood can see it. They know where their food is coming from. They're going to be strategically placed in underserved neighborhoods on purpose. And then it provides a place for education to happen. And it also provides agricultural jobs, a place where people can, you know, know that agriculture farming is is also on the list. When they ask you when you're a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to see farming be one of those things that kids start naming. (laughs) I like that. I think that's important. I think people just getting more into agriculture and just being exposed to agriculture is important. So I like the, I don't like it. I love the idea of this redefining the corner store from the aspect of people being able to see it in areas where I think that's important. Yeah, thank you. So why is that so important to you? You know, working in healthcare for all these years, all the health disparities that I see, I've worked in many practices. Like I've worked in so many different types. I've worked in a mental health practice. I've worked in a OMP, which is orthotics and prosthetics, people that lose limbs. I've worked in just a general hospital. I've worked in hospital, like labor and delivery. I've seen so many things. People, vision, the last practice I worked in was literally dealing with people that Many of them were diabetic and they had terrible retinopathy, you know, disease of their retinas, the part of the eye that's in the back that helps you to see. It's just so much is is attached to our health. Our food that we're eating is literally medicine or it can be poison. So we have to make we have to educate people on these choices that they're making because they're literally poisoning themselves with the decisions that they're making on their food. It starts with what you eat. You can't expect good to come out if you're not putting good food in you. Yes. All right. So what do you see the future of Farmer John looking like? More micro farms, <laughs> you know, because we live in these large metropolitans. And the difficulty for farming is that we have to get creative in how and where we decide to grow. And so this idea of having community gardens, the way that the, it currently is, is not I don't subscribe to it because community gardens are popping up in all these neighborhoods and the This word gentrification, it's here, it's here to stay and it's forever. It's a conversation always on people's minds. And I have a very different stance about gentrification than other people do. I believe in my own neighborhood where I live, I want to be able to have nice things. I should be able to, you know, go to a clean nail salon in my neighborhood. I should be able to go get a, a salad that has beets in it and sprouts in my own neighborhood. I should be able to get food, groceries in my own neighborhood, things like that that are super important and people get really upset and up in arms um, as neighborhoods start to change for the better. But I myself in my own neighborhood, if I erect these amazing, beautiful farms and storefronts as I'm doing, I too then am a gentrifier. But I can't be looked at negatively because I live here. I grew up here. This is my this is my space. So what Farmer John is what I look forward to doing is creating ethical organic regenerative farms that are small because of the space that we have to work with, but creating a model that works and that's agreeable for everybody that lives in the neighborhood and creating this model that could work in other metropolitans, but first starting with Philadelphia, that can work in other parts of our own city, improve our own city, improve the health disparities of our people, and then see how it works in other metropolitans around the, around the nation. 
and maybe even around the world. So do you have any desire to end up taking Farmer John to maybe some acreage outside of Philly? I do. So I want to have these micro farms uh, in the city because, again, like people being able to see their food growing is super important. But I want to have even more impacts in having a farm that's further away and that's larger. Farmer John needs a home. We need a hub, a hub where our growing and educating where we can send people to the people that we're teaching how to farm i want to be able to teach classrooms and individuals and businesses and chefs restaurateurs i want to be able to say like hey this is some basic farming knowledge that you can have so that you can just be a little bit more sustainable so that your carbon footprint can be a little bit smaller so to answer your question yes i i want a farm home outside of the city or even in the city if we can get some larger space i'm good with that too. But I know I need, I would like to have at least one acre of land, whether that's in Philly or right outside of it. I want to make that happen. So how far outside of Philly, I guess, uh, like minutes wise, would you have to travel to get some acreage like that? Well, honestly, there's a lot of acreage like right and right near the city, like right there. It's about the expense of it. You know, the closer you are to the city, the more expensive that it is. And real estate developers are vulturing all over the place. So <laughs> it's difficult. So you got to go outside the city if you want to be able to afford your land, unless you find somebody that's just sitting on some and that's willing to, you know, offer it to you at a fair price. All right. I like that. I like that. So we got to get got to find out how to get you a home base out there. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> so besides yourself, are there a lot of other people kind of involved with uh, urban agriculture over there in Philly? Urban agriculture is definitely growing, I would say, in popularity. More people are understanding the importance of it, understanding of being self-sustainable. But as far as enterprises go, most of the farms here are nonprofits. There aren't a lot of uh, for-profit farms. I currently am a for-profit farm and the education educational platform that I'm building out will be our nonprofit aspect of our farm. So to answer your question, there are oh, there are quite a few. I can count on one hand how many farming enterprises are right here in the city that are smaller too, because there's larger ones, of course. And if we're talking about black owned, that number gets even smaller. Right. So how many black owned ones are there? So I, I mean, I have one of them. There are, as far as the other for-profit one, there is one called Philly Forest. And she actually, her name's Jasmine. And she also lives in Germantown and that, and then you have some other farms in other areas of the city, like urban creators and also have one art community. Community center. So there are other ones, but their models are very different, like who they service and how they service people. It, it just varies. And I think every farm, every business has a different business model and a different mission overall. And so my mission is very specific on creating sustainable food systems in our city. When I'm building business plans, it's about setting yourself apart from others, right? You got that you have to do that. And it's not about being competitive or not. It's more so just about saying like, they're working on this, they're working on that, this is specifically what I want to focus on. And so that's what I choose. So yeah, my, I think my farm is very unique on the Philly food scene. So right now with the farm, the size it is, how are you or are you bringing any fresh food to your neighborhoods? I don't know if I asked that question properly. Are y'all setting up farmers markets and things like that out there? Yeah. That's my question. 
Yeah, so we have farmers markets and primarily how I get my food to paint to people is by way of CSA. So I have a CSA membership. I have 60 families that we grow food for. And we also work with some partner farms to fulfill this CSA. And that's how I directly impact the food systems in my community. Now I'm working with Philly Jasmine from Philly Forest, who is grown. She just started a, a Germantown farmer's market right in our neighborhood. And then I also sell produce and tea and honey at other farmer's markets throughout the city and the region as well. Okay. When you said your CSA, I didn't hear you. Did you say 60 or 16? 60. Six zero. Six zero. Is it hard to source food for the CSA? It's not hard to source organic food. I have like really amazing farm partners. So that's not a difficulty. It's just a matter of having 60 families. <laughs> When I first started my CSA, I only had 10 families when I first started it. And so, and I grew my CSA when I moved into these greenhouses. I was in a 5,000 square foot greenhouse for a year. So I happened to be in there and then, and it was great growing food. You know, I had my own farmer's market, everything at a storefront right outside of Philly. And then winter came and these greenhouses had no heat in them. And so because these greenhouses had no heat, I was was like scrambling and very stressed out trying to make sure that I could sustain and fulfill this CSA. And same thing going into the spring, I didn't know that I wasn't going to be in these greenhouses. I had let the community know what was going on, that I was, you know, struggling to pay the rent at these greenhouses because we had no heat and the community really banded together and they paid our rent for three months. And then after winter was not over, because our winter this, this year was kind of rough, was definitely rough, not kind of. It definitely was rough. It just wasn't good relation. It was like a, not a good place for us to be because of the ownership of the space. And so I made the very difficult decision to leave for my own mental health and for the, the health of my business as well. I got out of that space and I still had these 60 families that I started growing for in these greenhouses. And so it was like, you have to quickly pivot and find a new space to grow. And just having conversations with people, we were you know able to find some space to keep... You you know, to keep going with the CSA. But to answer your question, growing food on in small spaces all over the place and, you know, throughout the city and out right outside the city is not ideal. I would love to have a space where I can just grow the CSA. And that's what the farm home is going to be able to be for. The farm home will make that 10 times easier because you got to think about like trying to do the post harvest, you know, you harvest food and then you're trying to post harvest all your post harvest tasks of like hydro cooling and then putting it, refrigerating it and, and then if you're doing that in two, two and a half locations, that can get very tedious and laborious <laughs> and stressful. <laughs> nah, I agree. I agree. You definitely need a home base. Yeah. So how did you come up with the name Farmer John? So do you know what John is, Timothy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know because a, a dude at the gym that I go to, man, he's from he's from up north and, he's, <laughs> and he always says, but that's that John right there. <laughs> Wait, so what's his, did he tell you the definition? Like, I'm curious to know what his definition, because it's not a Northern word. <laughs> it's not. He's from New York and he says it. Oh, no. He say joint. They say joint. They don't say join. But <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, so John, J-A-W-N means person, place, or thing. It is. It means a noun. It literally can be anything. I am a John. That microphone is a John. You know, something that painting on your wall is a John. A piece of gum is a John. The dog is a John. Like 
anything and everything is a join or I'm going to that join over there. Like you could be going to it. So person, place, or thing is a John. And so really farmer John, what that means, a lot of people call me farmer John and I just got used to it. I used to be like, that's not me. My name is Krista. I used to do that all the time, but I'm finally embracing it because I understand it's a term of endearment for many people. And they're like, oh, you're farmer John. But really when I was thinking about naming the farm, I'm like, I need people to know and understand that anybody can grow. Anybody can grow food. And that's what it means. If a John is a noun and it means anything, and I'm saying farmer, what that means is anybody can farm. And that's what it is. <laughs> I like it. But I agree with you, man. I think everybody can grow and I think everybody should grow somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. No matter where mm -hmm. you are, whether it's a house plant or an herb in your kitchen, I think you should just grow something. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that's all the questions I have for you. But before I let you go, we're going to do this rapid fire section where I just think of some random questions and ask you. All right, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? Germantown, Philadelphia. All right. What's your favorite food? What's not my favorite food is a better question because I don't have a favorite food, but I have food that I will not eat. And that food is corn on the cob. But if you take the corn off the cob, will you eat it? I will eat it. I will only eat it if it's off the cob. You will not get me to bite into corn. I won't do it. Why? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> It's something about it getting in my teeth uh, that bothers me so much. I can't do it. I can't do it every time. Out of all of your tea <laughs> blends, which one is your favorite? Spicy, cold, and flu. And the reason why is because it's a tea that it has habaneros in it, habaneros that we grow. And so people don't, it's a surprise to them. And so, and for me, you know, like the capsaicin and the hot pepper boost your metabolism. And it also can knock out like mucus and all of that. So like, it's a it's very much a surprise to people when I tell them I'm mixing echinacea, orange zest, white peony, and habaneros and thyme into one blend. And it's amazing. So yeah, that's my favorite. How long did it take you to come up with that blend? Because that right there sounds great. Actually, I was standing in my kitchen when I first came up with it. And it was like, let's just try something hot. I actually had a friend with me that was standing there helping me blend at the time. And we just was trying stuff. We was just like mixing stuff up. And then I'm like, all right, I got these habaneros. Let me see what it's hitting for. And then I was like, this is good. Like, it's like a sweet tea that's hot. And I'm like, and I blend and I, cause I do honeys too. So we have our own line of botanical infused honeys and the honey is all local raw honey right here, right here, right from Germantown. And I have a, a habanero honey, but I don't use that in that one. I have a ginger honey. We grow ginger and turmeric and I have a ginger infused honey that I mix with this tea. It's all it. Like it's, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Did you start the honey because of the tea? So I started the honey. Actually, I launched the honey before I launched my tea line. When I was like trying it out, I pretty much launched that first. And that's what I sold first. So I, yeah, because I was selling tea, I was like, I want something to pair it with. I want to give people options of ways they can sweeten it, but also provide, I only do botanical honeys. I don't do any like regular Everything I do is all infused. All the honeys I do are all infused with something. Okay. What's the best selling honey infusion that you have? Lavender. The lavender honey sells out all the time. And then af right after that is our turmeric honey. I thought I was done with questions, but I remembered I had another question. Earlier, you talked about community gardens. Will you just tell yes. me what you said about community gardens again and why you, whether you like them or not? 
Yes. So community gardens, I feel, are an excellent concept. The intention behind them was was is pure, right? To create green spaces where people can have land to grow food for themselves. The unfortunate part about community gardens is that the ones that are located in underserved communities, i.e. black and brown communities, you have transplants that are coming in where those are the people and they usually are of lighter persuasion. They are usually Caucasian and those are the people that actually end up farming or growing their own food in these community gardens around where black people live. So when black people are walking past these spaces, they pretty much don't even see them. They like see right past them because they don't feel welcome in those spaces. And there's not enough intention behind making sure that the people that are from these neighborhoods who have lived in these neighborhoods long before these gardens got there, when they were just parking lots or empty lots, there's not enough intention behind making sure that those people know that this space is also for you. And so that's my issue with community gardens. And there has to be a better job of getting that message passed to people that have been, you know, invested in this neighborhood forever. So I agree with all of that. I agree with everything you said. I think I'm going to tell you my beef with community gardens is that. So it's the same in Texas. Yeah, it's the same thing in Texas. I'm sure it's the same thing everywhere. It's the same thing with agriculture, urban agriculture. It's the same thing. But my beef is that they put Mm -hmm. fences and gates around these community gardens. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the one that is in my neighborhood that I help run, it's no fence or gate around that one in particular. But still the same issue arises where the majority of people that are growing there are white. And I will say, however, that it is one of the most, we have more black people in it. And it's because of the administration that has been there. Her name's Vita. She has done a really good job of, again, it's going back to intention of making sure that she's going around knocking on doors, knocking on people's doors and putting letters, putting notes in their mailboxes saying like, hey, there's a community garden at the corner. So she's very mindful of it. But most community garden people are not that intentional. They just don't, they don't give it that much energy. We should have commercials. Like it just blows my mind. Like there's commercials for everything. Why don't we have commercials for farms? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) for community gardens why are there no commercials about this yeah i think there's because there's no professional farming league or no professional community garden we should change this like we really should like that commercial i never even thought about it until just now like that there are there's no marketing there's no proper marketing and for by the way that people consume and the way that people consume marketing right like through television through radio we need to have television and radio ads to promote farming we just do yeah but first you gotta i think i think that's what you doing and other people are doing, maybe even myself, trying to make farming, gardening, and everything associated with agriculture, trying to make it cool again. I think it starts there. Yeah, definitely. And we are. So your, your slogan is just grow it. My slogan is 100% organically dope. You know, we doing our part. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so how do we get people in these underserved communities where these community gardens are usually placed? How do we get the residents more interested in coming out to the gardens? That's the also the rough part because it always comes back to choices. That's such an inflated question because it's just, I mean, 
I don't have, so the thing is about things being free, I don't believe in free. I don't think things should be free. I believe that there is no value in free. So especially, I mean, black and brown people, we are the the top consumers of food stamps and SNAP benefits in the country. And because these community gardens, with when you have food stamps, why do you, if you have food stamps, why do you need to grow your own food? Well, you can just get an abundance of food if you just go, you know, to the store. So it's, again, it's like changing the mindset and helping people to understand what's important important and why it's important that you should have a hand in being self-sustainable and I think what it really is going to take is people that look like us continuing to have these conversations and to say you can be healthier you yourself right now can be healthier if you change the way you eat but not only you but it's bigger than you it's your whole lineage if you start to eat better food and start to take care of yourself and decrease your health disparity for your family tree then the people the descendants that are going to come after you your kids your kids kids your kids 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 are going to be healthier you're just going to have a healthier and stronger lineage and so when people really like tap into that and understand that the way you eat it's not you you're not the only one eating it (laughs) you might as well say like your grandkids, your great grandkids in the future are also eating the same food that you're eating because it's all about traditions. So I think that's what we have to start doing. That's why education is so key. That's all we got, you know, is what we know. The more you know is is what's going to change the way the world is right now, especially for us, especially for our people. All right. That was it. I, I had meant to end it before, but I had to get those last few questions in. Okay. <laughs> That was so awesome. Thank you so much. Nah, thank you for coming on the show. Will you tell everybody where they can find you online? Yes. So go to Farmer John Philly on Instagram and FarmerJohnPhilly.com. And then you also can find our amazing tea and honey blends. Go right to www.VivaLeafTea.com. And that's V-I-V-A Leaf like a leaf tea.com and also we believe tea on instagram as well and i also have a plant store our plant shop is located in philadelphia in mount airy it's called grow sip repeat and it's actually the home of our tea company as well and uh yeah so we got a lot of really cool things going on you got a whole plant shop and we find out about the plant plant shop shop. at the end of the show why we didn't talk about the plant shop earlier i mean like there's there's so many things. There's so much. So yeah. So Viva Leaf Tea is my first company I started. Farmer John was after that, and then I opened Grow Sit Repeat, which is our tea and plant boutique. So it's where we sell our tea and honey, but it's also primarily the store is just full of indoor house plants, and we do some outdoor garden plants as well. Yeah, big on education. It's a venue. We have an outdoor venue. People rent it for events, but we also throw our own events. That's something we're trying to like get off the ground still because it's difficult like we're finally coming out of covid so people are starting to gather and so i'm trying to figure out the best way to use this space if you look at it on instagram at grow sit repeat i'm open to any and all feedback because i i want to have more events at that space and that are all geared to, towards farming and growing and but also incorporating music and people and gathering and food so yeah that's dope. I'm upset that it took to the end to find that out. I'm trying to get out to Philly and check it out and see the whole entire operation. Yes, please, please. And I have to get to Texas as well. I haven't been since I was a Girl Scout when I was 11 or something. So I would love to get out there. That's dope, man. Thank you for taking the time uh, to hop on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Timothy. It took us long enough. I'm so happy we did it. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. 
Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>